Hey everyone, my name is Ajay Tucker, host of the Ajay Tucker Podcast, the only comedy tennis podcast that talks about our political and societal culture as a whole. My name is Ajay Tucker, as the name would suggest. Happy Tuesday. Hopefully you guys enjoyed your weekend, spending time with family, friends, and watching the Italian Open as well. There's a little bit of tennis news that we can get into. It was a pretty packed weekend in terms of tennis-related topics, so we'll stick with tennis for today's episode. But there's been a lot of tennis uh, news that's been happening, transpiring over the past two, three days. We can obviously get into the WTA Italian Open Final with Swiatek, Iga Swiatek and Caroline Pliskova, which Swiatek won against Pliskova pretty handily. We can also get into the Nadal-Opelka semifinal as well. We can get into Djokovic-Sonego semifinal. We can also get into Djokovic versus Tsitsipas at the quarterfinal. We can also discuss why the Italian Open was one of the best tournaments of the year. And when it comes to uh, Swerov and Tsitsipas, what I believe, or who I believe will have the better French Open. And we can obviously end with or with my weekly pick. But for today, we're going to lead off with probably the biggest news story uh, of this weekend and obviously one of the best tennis matches uh, of this past uh, year that, that ended one of the best tournaments of the year. Nadal, Rafa Nadal versus Djokovic versus Novak Djokovic. And if you guys didn't watch it, I'll try and give you the abridged version. It won't be like last time where I sort of pontificated on end about it. It won't be like that. It won't be 10 to 15 minutes of me just like talking about what's going to what happened. It will just be a brief summary as to what transpired and how Rafa Nadal was able to beat Novak Djokovic. So the end of the match... When it all ended, Rafa Nadal beat Novak Djokovic for his 10th Italian Open, 7-5-1-6-6-3. And obviously, I'll give you a little bit of the abridged version as to what happened. So if you guys didn't watch on Saturday, which I'll just, you know, sort of briefly talk about on uh, later this podcast, Djokovic played Novak Djokovic, one of the best tennis players of all time, played five hours on Saturday. Like... Five extreme hours of tennis on Saturday. And heading into it, I thought that would be a factor. I really did. I thought it would be a factor. And yeah, it, it, it really didn't. You know, I mean, there are times where I sort of want to believe myself and say, okay, maybe th- this will be a factor, like playing strenuous hours the previous day, heading into the next. Maybe that's going to be a factor for Djokovic. But Djokovic is one of the best of all time. So obviously... I sort of was wrong on that assumption, but um, let me just give you the abridged version as to what happened. So there was a, ni- a nice ace by Nadal to make it 30 love, 0-1. Obviously, no- Novak Djokovic got the first game of that first set. And there was a nice reaction as Nadal hit a ground stroke as Joker hits a volley for a winner, not far off from the baseline, 30-all. And if you really watch that point again, it was just like this. <laughs> like, it was... It was basically this. If you're watching on the video, if you're watching on YouTube, it's basically this. Uh, just a little sort of volley slice uh, to it. I don't think it was a slice, but it was just like line drive right into the baseline from his own baseline. It was pretty good. Uh, so that was a 30-all. Novak Djokovic gets the break, makes it 2-0 after a lengthy game. Nadal breaks on the changeover, 2-1. Forehand cross-court by Nadal makes it 30-15, and uh while i was watching the match i was really really interested in seeing the banana shots that uh, rafa nadal was able to do 
that wasn't really the case. We didn't really see mo most most of those uh, four uh, forehand banana shots, but still they were they had an amazing topspin, amazing pace to it, and overall, as you can tell, that would make all the difference in the world. Um, forehand cross court, yeah, uh, yeah, already said that. Uh, Nadal holds makes a two all. Joker holds after two straight aces to make a 3-2 on changeover. And jo Novak Djokovic's serve is just one of the best of all time to ever do it. Uh, so obviously, it would make sense why we go. he would go up 3-2. Forehand down the line makes a 3-all. Nice winner forehand pass by for Nadal as he trips on the line to make it advantage Nadal. And a lot of people were complaining about this. That apparently, like, whenever he would, like, or just in this particular instance, uh... Nadal would hit a shot or Nadal would essentially, you know, hit his forehand and all of a sudden he would just trip on the line and fall. And like when he got up, he was visibly frustrated and upset as to what happened, even though he got the winner. It kind of looked like he was celebrating. Well, it really wasn't celebrating. And yeah, it was it was pretty it was, it was not a good sight to see because you just saw like clay right off of Nadal's shirt. And, uh, yeah, he was visibly upset, and obviously the umpire and uh, the staff and crew had to change something about it. You know, they had to add some more nails to it to make it more stable, to make it more of a playable substance to uh, be on. So Djokovic holds, makes a 4-3 on changeover. Nadal holds, makes a 4-4. Djokovic holds serve on changeover. Nadal holds, makes a 5-5. Nadal goes up on a break on changeover, 6-5. And this is something that is sort of a precursor as to what we can see in the second and third set. As of this moment, Novak Djokovic only had two winners, two winning ground strokes. Nadal, 13. And, you know, I really like Djokovic, but you can't really succeed if that's going to be your ML. You can't succeed if you're only going to have two winners as of the presumably one of at like the near the end of the first set you can't just you can't do that it's not going to be beneficial for you and it's going to you know come out sooner than later so yeah so nadal hits forehand cross court joker can't retrieve it and nadal wins first set seven five nadal hit 15 forehand winners by the end of the first set second set on changeover one zero joker uh, as Djokovic was going to the bench, he waved off the cam uh, camera. I thought that was kind of funny. And he, in the first set, like he he like was visibly pissed off at his coaches and at his uh, uh, st uh, at his uh, training staff and uh, in, in the audience, like he was just waving them off as well and yelling at them. Uh, Nadal holds, makes a two-one. Joker holds, makes a three-one. Uh, two-one. Joker breaks Nadal's serve, goes up three-one, and I think that was like. A pretty lengthy game, and it could have gone either way, but Joker uh, actually held on to his serve. Djokovic holds, makes it 4-1. Nice drop shot by Djokovic to make it deuce. And you would see a lot of drop shots, uh, especially around this time, because uh, that's where uh, Djokovic really succeeded at the most, was just bringing Nadal up to the net and sort of tricking him in a way where Nadal was slow to react and slow to develop on time. Djokovic breaks to make a 5-1. Nice forehand cross court with great topspin to make a deuce. I think that was by Djokovic. And it wasn't topspin. It was a flat. Djokovic does not hit topspin on clay at all. On any surface, he hits flat. But uh, Djokovic holds, makes it 6-1. So that was just a complete annihilation by Djokovic on that second set. Uh, I don't know what 
to digest from this set because it was just such a culture shock to like to see uh, Nadal not necessarily playing up to his level in that second set. I, I think probably has to deal with just you're just playing against one of the best of all time. They have very a similar record uh, in 57 matches that they played against one another. I think Djokovic has the lead over him, 29-28. But, yeah, I mean, uh, that was a very weird set for Nadal. And, obviously, he would correct himself uh, later in that third set. So, let's go with no further ado. Let's get into that third set. Nice backhand by Nadal to make a 30-love. Nadal holds, makes it 1-0. Nice overhead smash by Djokovic after bringing Nadal up with a drop shot to make a 15-all. Two-hand backhand Djokovic to make it 1-1. It's his signature move. I mean, if you're any fan of Djokovic, you know his two-hand backhand is one of the best uh, to ever do it, to ever, to ever see in real time. Nadal holds and makes it 2-1. Djokovic holds and makes it 2-2. Drop shot by Djokovic makes it 15-love. 2-2, as I'm saying, uh, you know, currently... You know, drop shots were Djokovic's specialty for this specific match. And the more you sort of confuse Nadal, the better it was for Djokovic to succeed. Down the line, forehand by exit 30-15. Nadal holds and makes it 3-2. Backhand down the line, Nadal, to get the game on a triple break. I mean, it was like 40 love at that point. Or love 40, I should say. 4-2. And this is the sequence. This next sequence is one of... And I'm not so sure if it's in the highlights. I'm not so sure if the tennis channel has it. Maybe, maybe not. But that sequence by Nadal at 40-15, 4-2, was just one of the best shots I've ever seen Nadal play on in this tournament. It was just overpowered at all fronts. I'm going to break you until you can't physically play me anymore. And it was just one of the best sequences I've ever seen from Nadal. I mean, it was just electric. And the fact that he was able to hold to make a 5-2, it just made it all the difference in the world. One of the best sequences ever. I'm not so sure if Tennis Channel has it, but go check it out on YouTube if you haven't. Um, yeah, so I just want to get that into into it. Uh, so yeah, nice backhand cross court to make a 30-40. Nadal, Djokovic holds, makes a 5-3. Djokovic unforced error gets Nadal the game the set in the match. So as I said before, Nadal beats Djokovic 7-5, 1-6, 6-3. Just an overall great match from both of these tennis players. And here's what I want to get into. Because when you see two players, especially one player who played three matches in the span of two days, you can't really blame either either of them for losing, right? It's very easy to second-guess yourself into sort of Monday morning quarterback this and be like, okay, since Djokovic lost, this was a Djokovic loss more than a Nadal win or a Nadal win over a Djokovic loss. But they played some of the best tennis I've ever seen in the past year. This was one of the best tennis matches ever. And it's one of the, it's Nadal, Rafa Nadal versus Novak Djokovic was everything it should have been. It was one of the best tennis matches of this past year and part of it was because we were able to see Nadal head into Roland Garros with a clear eye view as to what can transpire and as to how he how he can succeed at that high of a level right when you see certain shots he's made like such as his forehands that we've known you know for throughout his career especially on clay but when you just see how much stronger he is compared to the competition, when he's able to 
sort of elevate himself and sort of distance himself from the competition and really add incredible pace and topspin to his ground strokes, it really makes all the difference in the world. And again, that sequence, 40-15, 4-2, go back and watch it. It's one of the best I've ever seen from Nadal. Just the amount of speed, pace, and just overall excellence and ele like elegance that he added to each and every ground stroke that he had really, really made it all the difference in the world for Nadal to win against Djokovic. Djokovic also had a really good game, a really good match as well. You know, at first, in the first set, I was like, okay, uh, if Nadal wins the first set, then probably he'll win the second set, just based off Djokovic's temper alone. I mean, Djokovic was visibly upset at his coaches after uh, that first set or, like, near the end of that first set. But he was able to win 6-1 and nearly bagel uh, Nadal if Nadal didn't just get that one game in, you know, so if he wasn't able to uh, hold to make it 1-1. But again, it was just a great set by Djokovic, and that really was the culmination as to what we were seeing against Sitsipas and against Sonego. Sonego, you know, so it's it's it was a great, great match by these two players, and, you know, I think we should cherish what we have of them while we still have them, you know, like, at the end of the day, they are going to retire inevitably. They are, they are going to retire, so it's very important to at least understand how great they are as tennis players and just what they've meant for the sport because what they've done in that three sets or in that match last uh yesterday i'm filming this on monday on sunday it was great to watch and you know nadal being able to go from the baseline to the net and sometimes it wouldn't often go his way but when it did and it you know you could really see just how much jubilation it caused and also how much anger it caused, especially when he tripped on that line. It really made all the difference in the world for Nadal. And to see that and and to uh, really digest it fully, because I'm still like trying to digest like the match uh, in its entirety, it sort of gives you a great confidence as to what we can expect in Roland Garros. And whether it will be Nadal Djokovic, uh, for Roland Garros final, I, I think this gives you an indication that Nadal is still the front runner for Roland Garros. It may not be easy, you know, the role may not be easy, as I've previously talked about in my last podcast. Check it out if you haven't. But again, you can't deny Rafa Nadal's greatness on the specific substance and, and on the specific uh, play, playing style on this court but also just in tennis as well. And you really can't deny it at this point. You know, he's that great of a tennis player. So yeah, that's that's my overall opinions as to why I thought it was everything it was and should have been because it was just that great of a tennis match. You know, it really was. And I'm excited to see what's in store for uh, this, for these players. And Luigi Gatto, who I, I suggest you follow, uh, on Twitter says Nadal and this is him quoting him uh, Nadal said I want to win every day every tournament I play even if this cannot happen I'm passionate and motivated as ever the pressure is there but I have been on the tour for 18 years so I know how to handle it uh, Luigi Gatto said two instead of so but anyways it's fine Luigi you're fine um, I mean that's the that's the sort of stigma not stigma that's the sort of mentality that uh, Nadal should have and it's very interesting to hear that because that shows you that he's very stoic he's very in the now and you can't 
delegitimize that. You you can you can, you can be like, oh, this person is not necessarily capable of being in the now and really succeeding at its current moment in time. No, he's viewing each and every tournament as it's happening in real time and making adjustments to his overall playing style to succeed. And that's very, very powerful, especially at that at that level where Nadal is at currently. So again, props to Nadal for the win. One of one of the best tennis matches I've ever seen in this past year. And yeah. Anyways. Uh, let's get into the WTA Italian Open Final. So Iga Swiatek beat Caroline Pliskova. I think that's her first name. Uh, six love, six love. She double bageled her. Uh, Caroline Pliskova had two double faults in her first game serving, so that was not a good start whatsoever. Uh, Swiatek was able to break Pliskova to go up two love. Swiatek holds, makes a three love, and as you can t- kind of see, uh, Pliskova never held serve, never broke serve. And you can't win like that. You know, you can't win not being able to hold and break serve. It's just not going to be possible. You know, you need a hold and break to be able to succeed. Uh, Pliskova had two more double faults. Second game she served. So she had four double faults in total while serving. And not a good thing. Not a good thing whatsoever. Nice winner down the line by Shuitek to make a 5-love on changeover. Nice forehand down the line. Shuitek to make a 40-love. Shuitek wins a set on a double break to bagel Pliskova. Six love and that set, and this is the stark contrast between like ATP and WTA. That set lasted 22 minutes. I mean, on one hand, I'm like, oh, I wish there was more competition, but at the same time, I'm like, man, like this match might go quick. Like, this match might be my last less than an hour, and it kind of did. So, uh, second set going on, plowing ahead. Uh, second set, Shuitek holds the first set. Pliskova at this moment in time. Had 10 unforced errors. That's a lot. In women's tennis. That is a lot. 10 unforced errors is not a good statistic to have. And again, you need to find ways to sort of keep the ball within the confines of the court. If you're not able to do that, it's going to be very, very difficult for you to succeed. And more importantly, you have to be more composed and more willing to just be consistent. And we didn't really see that with Pliskova. So... Shuitek gets the double break, goes up two love. Shuitek holds three love. Shuitek wins set on a double break on an unforced error once again by Pliskova. Shuitek holds serve on an ace, goes up five love. Pliskova only had 13 points won as Shuitek was able to get or able to break Pliskova's serve and win six love. Six love, six love. Shuitek wins. Great, great match by Shuitek. Uh, I think she like tweeted out that she's gonna like celebrate by having uh, tiramisu. So congrats to uh, Shuitek on the win. Very very good. But again, you know, going back to Pliskova, uh, I think it would be better for her if she just took, took like a day or two off, sort of regrouped, refocused, and said, "Okay, what did I mess up here? How did I mess up here?" And I'm not so sure if she's playing the Lion Open. I'm not so sure. Uh, we have to check it if we haven't before, but or I have to check it before uh, I really make it, you know, set in stone. But yeah, you have to like really be consistent with your shots and obviously make sure that you're you're prone to failure. You know, I think this was a good stepping stone as to what we can see from Pliskova and hopefully, <clears throat> hopefully she's able to, uh, sorry for the <laughs> cough, but uh, hopefully she's able to sort of correct herself so that she doesn't have to make these mistakes more often than not. 
but she should look back in the drawing board and go back to the drawing board and say, okay, what messed up in that final? Because I was pretty good beforehand. You know, I was able to go to the Italian Open final. What did I mess up? You know, was I not good on my ground strokes? That answer is a yes. Was it? Was I not good first serve and second serve? That answer is also a yes. Was I also pretty sluggish on court and not able to regroup and, and sort of uh, find ways to go back and alternate from other both sides of the baseline? That answer is also yes. Uh, there's a lot of different ways that you can sort of switch this and uh, sort of correct yourself and be better as a tennis player. Uh, but these are certain the uh, certain uh, recommendations that I would give to Pliskova uh, in terms of how she lost because uh, that was not a pretty sight to see for Pliskova. Uh, but again, props to Shriatik, Igor Shriatik on the win. I mean, she was just that much better. And you really can't deny it. I mean, she was just that great of a tennis player. And you could really see it, man. You really, really could see it. And hopefully this can lead into something much, much better for Shuitik. You know, I, I think I think that's, or not even just Shuitik, but just Pliskova in general. You know, I mean, I think uh, that would mean a lot in terms of, in terms of uh, actually succeeding. You know, so yeah, uh, those are just my overall thoughts on the women's tennis uh, final uh, that transpired on Sunday morning or in America Sunday morning. Let's get into Nadal Opelka semifinals. So Nadal beats Opelka 6-4-6-4. Obviously, that was sort of evident because of the row that Nadal had to go through to just play Opelka. I mean, he's he played a brutal match against Shapovalov. Shapovalov. I keep saying Shapovalov. It's not Shapovalov. It's Shapovalov. 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 I'm sorry. I... <laughs> It's hard for me to pronounce certain French names, but uh, Shapovalov, okay, that's good. Uh, and he also had to beat center as well, which the center match was pretty good as well because it gave you like a sort of juxtaposition between young versus old, and I really love those matches whenever, however far and few they may come. I really like it because it gives you a glimpse of the future. But Opelka, and this was sort of a note that I gave to myself, uh, he wore a flat-brim hat while playing the match, and that's it's kind of weird to see. I'm not against it, but uh, that's a little weird to see, like, a tennis player wearing a flat-brim hat. Uh, but again, you know, just, it's all style, you know, as we've seen from Agassi and Kyrgios and individuals in the past. It's all about style and about how you market yourself. So that's pretty good for Alpelka. I think that sort of uh, gives him, you know, the ability to market himself and sort of separate himself from the pack. So that's good for uh, Opelka. Uh, so nice forehand down the line, Opelka in the second game, uh, first side to make a 30-15 Nadal. Both held serve going to the fifth set after a long back and forth, uh, fourth set, by, uh, but Nadal ultimately breaks Opelka to make a 3-2 on changeover. Nice shot by Nadal to make it 40-love, 5-4, Nadal end set with an ace to make it 6-4. Nadal break, uh, breaks Opelka in the third game to make it 2-1 on changeover, Nadal ends fourth game on two aces to make it 3-1. In the second set, nice forehand by Nadal with unbelievable uh, topspin to make it 40-35-4. And he would obviously win uh, that final uh, game to make it 6-4. So I didn't really take that much notes. I've sort of deviated away from that, uh, mainly because it sort of gets like bogged down and not that fun and enjoyable for, for me. And I'm sure for people that are listening to the podcast, it's kind of weird to like skim through it and not necessarily listen to it in, in, in its entirety but uh 
I mean, Nadal is just that gr much greater than Opelka. I mean, it is pretty evident. And, um, yeah, I mean, I thought it was a great match by uh, Nadal. I mean, it was quite evident that he was going to win because of just the road it took for uh, Nadal just to get to that place. I mean, he had to win against Sinner. He had to win against Shapovalov. He had to win against the reigning Madrid Open winner, which is Sasha Zverev. You know, and Sasha Zverev had a really, really good journey to the Madrid Open final because he'd never lost a set. And even though he lost to Berrettini, uh, I think that's second set, I think, maybe that first set. I'm not so sure. I forget. Uh, I think second set, if my memory serves me correctly. It was still an interesting match to watch. And, you know, again, like Nadal is just that much better than anybody else on clay. And you can't really discount him out, even if he is in his late 30s, so or mid to late 30s. So, I mean, yeah, it's just a great tennis match by Nadal and sort of set in stone about what we will see in the future against Djokovic in the final of the Italian Open. But yeah, great, great tennis match by uh, Nadal. So, yeah, so... What am I doing on time? 7, 14, 21, 25. Oh, 25. Okay. Uh, okay. Good. Okay. Uh, let's get into the other semifinal, which is Djokovic Sonego. So Sonego lost to Djokovic 3 6, 7 6, 2 6. Or Djokovic won 6 3, uh, 6 7, 6 2. Uh, he uh, was seven five in the tiebreaker, but it was great to see. Uh, again, it was great to see an Italian play in the Italian Open. I thought it was going to be Berrettini because he was. I mean, he he went to the Madrid Open final, but nonetheless, it was Sonego. He he's an Italian tennis player played in the Italian Open. It was, and the audience was supporting him right from the start. I mean, it was like visibly like like Sonego chance. It was just marvelous to see like a homegrown player playing his own uh, country and really represented to the best of his ability. Uh, and, uh, you know, this is something that I realized from Djokovic. The more you cheer against Djokovic, the more chance, the better of a chance he has at actually winning. And that was sort of the case for him. So nice overhead smash by Djokovic to make it love 15-1-2. Djokovic is able to go, go up on a break to make 3-1 after Sonego error. Djokovic holds 4-1 on changeover. The crowd at this point was really, really behind him. Like, extremely behind him. 40 love, 1-4. Sonego holds to make a 3-5. Djokovic is um, just that much more better in in his first set. And 1-6-3, I mean, he's one of the best to ever do it with his flat ground strokes. Sonego was really good at holding serve, but he couldn't really execute when the chips were against him. And that sort of became uh, the story in that third set as well. But uh, nice drop shot by Djokovic that just barely gets over the net, but, you know, was able to get in for a winner to make a 15 love, 0-1. Joker Sonego holds to make a 2-1 on changeover. Djokovic wins sixth game of the second set to make a 3-all on ace. Nice overhead smash by Sonego to make a deuce 3-all. Sonego was up 4-3 on changeover. Sonego holds serve on changeover. Djokovic holds serve to make a 5-all. Uh, Sonego hits a drop shot. Djokovic is able to hit a winner just past Sonego and squeaks by to win game 6-5 on changeover. Djokovic serves for the set. I have a feeling he will win. I did not... Thank you. Uh, after, uh, yeah, that 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 at that moment, I thought he was going to win and make it. He was going to win in straight sets, but uh, since Sonego wasn't able to break so far, nice forehand cross court by Djokovic as the ball hits the net by Sonego. 
by Sonego to make it 15-30. Joker, great down the line winner by Sonego to make it 15-11 in the first game of the third set. Oh, shit, I'm, I'm in the third set. Oh, right, damn. <laughs> I'm going faster. Uh, great down the line winner by Sonego. And, like, by this time, like, the audience is just, like, ready to fall in love with Sonego. I mean, they're just that infatuated by Sonego at this point. But, yeah. They were just loving Sonego at this point. But a uh, great down-the-line winner by Sonego to make it 15-love in the first game. Third set. Uh, nice down-the-line. Uh, backhand by Djokovic to make it 30-all. 1-0. Came out to a long rally. Break, uh, Djokovic breaks Sonego to go 3-1. Djokovic goes up 4-1 on changeover. Nice tweener by Sonego. But Djokovic was able to hit a volley closer in the net. 30-all. 2-5. And Djokovic closes it out. Great match by Sonego, but just an even greater match by uh, Djokovic. And uh, yeah, that that was that was my recap of the match. Uh, what do I think about Sonego? Uh, I don't think he's going to progress any further than now. Uh, he can, and I would be surprised if he did. But I think this is the end of his Cinderella run. Uh, I I just think it. I, I just think. Yeah, I just think it's going to be a, a little too much uh, for Sonego uh, to really keep up at this point. I mean, I, I think when we see Sonego and Berrettini, while they are good Italian players, uh, I don't think they're going to be any. I don't think they're going to progress any further than this. Uh, but yeah, it's just one of those things where it's just a great Cinderella run, and you have to appreciate it while uh, while we or while we still see him. So. Congrats to Sonego on the win. Uh, yeah, okay. So, I think I think Djokovic was just able to like really succeed against Sonego because he's just been there before. You know, I mean, he's just succeeded at that high of a level. And when you're playing against somebody with that expertise, I mean, he's seen everything. He's been through so much adversity in terms of on the court and... He's able to like really go back in his memory and say, okay, how did I win against so-and-so with this particular playing style? All right, so I know Sonego really enjoys holding serve. Okay, well, how do I make sure that I can actually break a serve? You know, how, how can I make sure that I can actually go up on a whim and really succeed so that by the time the next changeover happens, I'm that much more cool and composed to really carry on with my own hold you know i think all those factors really come into play with uh with djokovic and yeah he's just one of the best to ever do it and that's one of the reasons why i mean he's he's just that much better uh at everything he does you know he's he's just that much great and uh it's just interesting to watch it's just interesting to see uh you know so good for djokovic on that so anyways uh let's get into Djokovic Sitsipas quarterfinals. So I'm not going to spend too much time on this. It's Djokovic Sitsipas was a really good quarterfinal, and I actually really like Sitsipas. Uh, he was great at Monte Carlo, and he was able to progress to the Boston Open final, even though he lost in a doll. But uh, he didn't drop a set that entire Monte Carlo Rolex Masters. I mean, he, he didn't drop a set to Rublev, and I was really shocked uh, to see that. But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, Djokovic won against Tsitsipas 4-6, 7-5, 7-5. At one point, Djokovic is up 6-4, 4-2. Uh, but he was just able to come back in stunning fashion. Djokovic also utilized the suspension of the match to correct himself, and you could really see a difference in Djokovic's mentality on Saturday morning when the match was still playing. Uh, and Matthew Willis from Mad Racket 
think that might be the most impressive win on clay for Djokovic for years. He looked the physical he looked the physically stronger of the two by the end as we watch as we which as which bodes well for his Roland Garros hopes. Awesome match. Please, please, please anybody on Twitter, uh, make sure you like watch for grammar or like watch or just wa- like look at your tweet, read your tweet before sending it because it doesn't often like read well. Uh, so yeah, uh, Sonego. Uh, no, what, what, what about Sonego? Uh, Sizipas lost to Djokovic, and um, it was very interesting to watch because the suspension definitely did play a role in it. And I think if there was no suspension, Sizipas could have edged out a victory against Djokovic and played against Sonego and presumably play against Nadal, uh, but. Overall, it was a great match by uh, Djokovic, and yeah, I mean, again, it just shows you the difference of these two tennis players, and um, yeah, it, it's just great to watch. Yeah, I mean, that's all I have to say about the match. It, it was just great to watch, and I didn't really keep any notes on this, but you could just see the difference between Djokovic and Tsitsipas, you know. But I do think that if the match was not suspended due to inclement weather we could have seen Sitsipas win and yeah so anyways uh let's get into actually a more interesting topic or a probably like a hypothetical that will be seen with this current generation or with this next gen and that that is Sasha Zverev and Stefano Tsitsipas, and who I believe will have a better French Open. So if you guys haven't kept up with the clay season, I don't really blame you, but if you haven't kept up, Stefano Tsitsipas had a really good showing early on in the clay season. He somewhat sort of regressed in the later uh, in the later uh, tennis tournaments, such as the Italian Open with the loss against Djokovic, and also the Madrid Open. But overall, uh, Stefano Tsitsipas early on had a really good showing at the clay season, he won Monte Carlo, beat Rublev at the final. I think it was like 6-2, 6-2, or 6-3, 6-3, 6-4, 6-4. Anyways, he won against him in straight sets. He didn't lose it. He didn't drop a set whatsoever that clay, uh, that Monte Carlo. He was just that great, and he was that dynamite on it. Uh, he lost to the Barcelona Open final to Nadal in three sets. And again, he didn't. I don't. I don't think he dropped a set until he lost to Nadal. In three sets at the Boston Open Finals, so he was he was that great when it came to uh, being on that surface at that specific time. Now with Sasha Zverev, now he had a great showing at the Madrid Open. You know, I, I again he didn't drop a set until uh, that final against Berrettini, and he beat Nadal at the quarterfinal at the Madrid Open, which is a great accomplishment in and of itself. But at the same time. Uh, he lost to Nadal at the quarterfinal of the Italian Open. So uh, even though like Nadal lost, I mean, Sasha Zverev was just that much better. And it really highlighted and really showcased his ability uh, to succeed against our current gener- generation, which is obviously Nadal and Djokovic and uh, Federer as well. And when you go back to their success rate at the French Open... So Sasha Zverev or Alexander Zverev's best finish at the Roland Garros or at French Open at the French Open was quarterfinals 2018 2019. 
Stefano Sitsipas best finish was semifinal 2020. And I think at this moment in time, who I think will have a better French Open, I think it's going to be Stefano Sitsipas. I think he's going to edge out Zverev simply because of Monte Carlo. And if you guys didn't watch it, go watch the highlights on the ATP channel if you haven't. He was just that great. I mean, his his forehands were just amazing. His ground strokes were just amazing. Uh, his first serve is one of the be- uh, is one of the best within his generation. And you know, I mean, he's just that great, man. He really is. And I think you should keep an eye out for him because he's. I I think he's going to he's going to at least progress to the semifinal of Roland Garros. I know that may be a hot that a uh, pretty high prediction. And maybe a, a pretty wild prediction, but I do think that at this moment in time, this is Stefano Sitsipas' time to really showcase his skills and really sort of separate himself from the pack. And that includes Sasha Zverev. You know, I, I still think Sasha Zverev is a great tennis player, one of the, like, one of the best within his generation. But as of this moment in time, I think Stefano Sitsipas is just that much better uh, within his current generation. I think he's, I think Nadal will still win against Stefano Tsitsipas, but I do think that Stefano Tsitsipas does have a lot to offer, and I think that's going to make all the difference in the world, you know. So, so yeah, I mean that that's sort of my thoughts on uh, on Stefano Tsitsipas and on Sasha Zverev, you know. And even though, even though, uh, what you call it, uh, even though. Zverev uh, lo- uh, lost to Nadal, and I- I'm pretty sure it was, let me check, but I'm pretty sure it was in two sets, right? It has to be two sets. Yeah, 6-3, six, 6-4. Six, so, I mean, even though he lost to uh, Nadal in two sets, he was still great. I mean, and I mean, that's, that's one of the reasons why uh, Zverev is where he's at right now, you know, so... So yeah, that's just sort of my overall opinion uh, opinion on uh, who I believe will have a better showing when it comes to the French Open. Even though it's like a week away, I think it's still important to at least like delve into into it deeply. And uh, yeah, so yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, let's get into. <clears throat> Sorry about that. Uh, let's get into. Uh, the Italian Open as a whole. And I'll be honest with you, as I've said previously in this podcast earlier before, the Italian Open was one of the best tournaments of this year. And part of it was because of, and early on, I'll be honest with you, uh, the matches were not that great. And above all, there was a lot of talk and conversation about Sergio Giorgi and sort of his actions while sort of like berating a tennis umpire and that's not good for the sport of tennis. It really isn't. It may elicit fans to get into watching the sport, but I don't think in the long run that it's going to pay out because more often than not, people will, will remember you by those temper tantrums as opposed to your style on play or your accomplishments on the court. You know, when people think of McEnroe, they don't really think of his four majors one. They think of his temper tantrums, you know. So while I do think it's going to elicit fans to the sport, I don't think... It will necessarily bring fans to root for you. As if anything, it's going to bring fans to actually uh, support and actually cheer on your decline. 
it's it's sort of like a Jake Paul effect to it, you know. But uh, yeah, I mean, there there are so many great matches in this tournament. Like it was one of the best tournaments of this year. The Italian Open was one of the best tournaments of this year, mainly because of just so many great matches that happened. Nadal versus Sinner, round of 32, which offered a stark contrast between old and young and how Nadal was just able to uh, beat Sinner in two sets. And it also gave us Nadal versus Shapovalov, you know, and how he was able to win against Shapovalov in three sets. You know, I mean, going back to it, Nadal was able to, be, uh, was able to beat uh, Shapovalov and, and really su- uh, succeed against him. Uh, not in a pretty decisive way, but in a really close manner uh, as well. You know, I mean, he was able to beat against him, uh, or sorry, uh, Nadal was able to beat him 3-6, 6-4, 7-6. And, you know, by that tiebreaker, it really could have gone either way. It really could have. Obviously, you know, while Nadal was up, you know, it kind of seemed like it was going his way. But heading into that tiebreaker, I'm like, if there was no stoppage whatsoever, there was no, like, uh, stop and play, Shapovalov would have easily one against Nadal, but, I mean, that's what separates Nadal from the rest of the individuals, is his ability to be in the thick of it at that late of a round and never say never and always view each and every ground stroke as a way to build off an opportunity and really view it as an opportunity to better yourself, not only as a tennis player, but just you as an emotional individual, as a mental individual. You know, and, you know, not not to deviate too much away from the topic, but, you know, even with Djokovic Sitsipas, you know, quarterfinal, three sets. I mean, it was a great tennis match, even though there was some stoppage. It really highlighted and elevated both of these tennis players to to an extent that we haven't really seen before. You know, I mean, this was better than the Madrid Open. You know, this was better than Monte Carlo. This was better than Barcelona. While I appreciate those tournaments and while I did highlight you know, the next gen in a way that we really haven't seen before in the schedule so far. It was, it really gave you the best of the current gen and the best of this next gen. And, you know, obviously Nadal versus Djokovic was the final. And, you know, a lot of people will say, oh, this is bad for the sport. You know, why isn't the next gen succeeding like Nadal and Djokovic? But, you really have to uh, go back and really view those previous matches because that younger competition really gave Nadal Joker a run for their money. And you can't deny that. I mean, they were really, really great heading into it. And obviously Nadal and Djokovic was the dark horse favorite or uh, expected match of this Italian Open. But still, that match in and of itself was a great match to watch. And Tumaini Karayal, uh, go follow him on Twitter. I'm, you know, bringing a lot of tweets uh, in, in this podcast. But he was, uh, he actually tweeted out, "This was the best ATP Masters thousand in a long time." I fully agree with that, both in terms of quality of the matches from the early rounds and their significance. When Nadal and Djokovic were holding off the younger's again, despite this result, I think I both found the form they needed ahead of Paris. I think both found the form they needed ahead of Tavares. And I fully, a thousand percent, agree with that statement. To, uh, I, I think they both, I think at this moment, it may be Nadal Joker, French Open final. And I think Nadal will edge out or beat Djokovic in a very similar way that we saw previously yesterday. But still, great match and just great, great open, you know, for that matter, with, these, with this younger competition. 
And, you know, again, I still believe that if there was no stoppage, Sitsipas would have won against Djokovic and it would have lasted three sets. But nonetheless, I still think Sitsipas would have lasted longer than Djokovic and really succeed and really do well uh, and really give you the inclination that or indication uh, that Sitsipas could reach the Roland Garros final. But Djokovic won. And as long as Djokovic and Nadal are there, I, I think they can beat them. I think Nadal and Djokovic can be beat him, uh, and it, it can set kind of segue or not segue, but can kind of sideline him from actually being in the Roland Garros final anytime soon. So uh, while I do believe, oh yeah. Anyways, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was a great tennis open. Uh, nonetheless, I digress. Great tennis open, and I'm really happy to see uh, that Masters a thousand because it really showcased both both tennis players in a way that we really haven't seen before so and just every tennis player for that matter the young competition the old competition it was just that great to watch and we don't get that those tennis tournaments that often but when they do they're chef's kiss you know they they really are they're chef's kiss and yeah it was it was a great great tennis tournament you know so yeah anyways let's get into my weekly pick so every tuesday i recommend a book i recommend a piece of art an album that i really really enjoy and that i suggest you guys follow as well and digest and consume as well and this week it's going to be tyranny of big tech by josh Hawley. and what the book is essentially about it it, it, it discusses the role that big tech plays in our current society and our current culture and just how much of a force they have in terms of how we get our news to our freedom or our lack of freedom of expression or our ability to really discuss our true opinions and thoughts on matters and how they sort of suppress our speech and in favor of of their own sort of rules and sort of ripping up the constitution and whatnot and it essentially also discusses and really highlights how these companies sort of sell our data to profit and how they make our profit by selling our data. You know, somebody said something po- poetic where if you don't pay for a product, you are the sir, you are the or if you don't pay for a service, you are the product. And I, I that's very that's sort of the vibe that I got from this book because he really discusses certain idea uh, certain, you know, things that, you know, big tech does that I sort of view and say, man, that's that's a problem, you know, suppressing our speech and suppressing the way that we can think and how we can sort of project our uh, opinions out. I, I think that's that's blasphemous and that should be that should call for reform and change, you know. So, you know, in some of the the, propo- the proposals that he offers and so, some of the suggestions that he offers is, you know, repealing Section Two Thirty, making sure that we can sort of somewhat nationalize these uh, conglomerates as well but i think his main main reform that he actually wants to bring up is that he wants to break up big tech you know he wants to break up amazon from amazon web services you know he also wants to break up uh facebook so that they don't have a stranglehold in terms of our information through whatsapp and instagram you know so while may i don't uh, you know some people may agree some people may disagree uh but overall like 
you can't deny the amount of influence Amazon has. I mean, they are the leading e-commerce platform on the internet, but they also uh, allow website hosting. So they get a profit share if somebody wants to create their own e-commerce. You know, if you're going to create your own e-commerce website, which libertarians often like say, like, oh, if you want to, uh, if you want to be Amazon, why don't you make your own website? And it's like, how do you think I'm going to create a website? It's through Amazon Web Services. When I had to create a website, you know, back when I was a web developer, I had to actually use Amazon Web Services to create, you know, my own like website. And it wasn't even like based off e-commerce. It was just like basically it was like somewhat search engine, search engine type stuff, you know. So, I mean, you know, with like, uh, yeah, <laughs> with APIs, you know, and what whatnot. But I, I really enjoyed this book. Uh, while I don't necessarily agree on certain solutions, I really appreciate Holly's opinion on big tech and how we can sort of rein them in to sort of fit the needs within America and within the Bill of Rights and the Constitution. It, it's very reminiscent of early Teddy Roosevelt, you know, and I think he wrote a book on Teddy Roosevelt 10 years ago or so uh, during his time in Yale or as a law clerk or whatnot. Uh, so I just wanted to recommend that book to you. And it's very interesting to see like people on the left who want more censor censorship in big tech. You know, I remember I, I, I heard about Kamala Harris at the debates saying that she wants to like the main problem in America is that Donald Trump is not silent enough on Twitter or, or Twitter is not silencing Donald Trump enough on Twitter. And that's our biggest problem, which makes no sense whatsoever. I think a bunch of people on insulin will disagree with you or a lot of people who don't have health, health insurance will disagree with you on that. Or a lot of people that are missing their limbs because of their service in the Iraq and Afghanistan wars may disagree with you. Uh, and Markey at the big tech hearing last year also said that, you know, the main problem with big tech is that they're not pro-censorship enough. Which is kind of weird for Ed Markey to say because he has a lot of opinions that are different from the status quo or different from the establishment opinion of the Democratic Party. You know, he's for universal health care. He's for these sort of... Uh, policy decisions that often don't necessarily align with the corporate wing of the party. And yeah, it's kind of weird to see Democrats. It's kind of weird to see liberals before more censorship, you know. I mean, Chomsky is not dead, but he's rolling in his grave or rolling in his in his uh, chair whenever he sees Democrats or liberals suppressing opinions. But yeah. Anyways. Uh, that's all the time I have. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, make sure if you're watching on YouTube, type in, or if you're on YouTube, type in Ajay Tucker Podcast. Uh, and then make sure you like, subscribe, and click the bell icon for notifications down below. Obviously, type in the Ajay Tucker Podcast on YouTube because I don't have a, a link that I can just throw up there. Uh, but just type in Ajay Tucker Podcast. It's the first link up there. Click on the channel. Make sure you like, subscribe and click the bell icon and on this latest episode so you can be, uh, stick around for more videos later this week and for the future as well uh, and that's all the time i have so thank you so much for watching thank you so much for tuning in i'll see you guys on thursday and we'll talk about more about tennis but i think we'll discuss in detail about you know just our political societal culture as well because uh, it's the line open and there's not much that we can really discuss about the line open. But anyways, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for tuning in and I'll see you guys on Thursday. All right, guys. Peace. See y'all.